So um, how about we just pray as we begin our message this morning? Loving God, we just give you all thanks and praise, Lord God, that you are indeed here in our midst. And we just ask that as we prepare ourselves, Lord God, as we ready ourselves to hear from your word, as we seek to have our eyes open and our ears attuned to what you might be saying, Lord God, that you would also be at work in our hearts, that our hearts might be ready to receive what you have for us today, Lord God. And we just ask, Lord God, that, um, that you would come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Be free to move in our midst as you would will and as it would be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, I'm going to begin this morning with a Bible verse for us. Um, our reading this morning is taken from the first book of John or the first epistle of John, uh, chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. And I'll be reading along. You can follow on the screen behind me. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another. This is the word of the Lord. In the traditional church calendar, Advent is the season of preparation, of anticipation, and indeed of longing. And for the Jewish people in uh, the biblical story, uh, at this season, longing was actually them longing for the promised Messiah. Now for us, it's actually a season which is all about the longing of the experience we have for Jesus to return. In our longings, we often pray these things, as I prayed before, Lord, Holy Spirit, come. Lord Jesus, come. Lord, how long until you come again to fully establish your kingdom, your rule, and your reign over every injustice, every bit of poverty, every bit of strife, and every heartbreak? That's the cry of our Advent heart as we pray those longings. This Advent season also is importantly about sitting with, even facing up to the mess sin-tainted reality of our lives and the world that we live in. It brings into focus for us the experience of how we live each day in this tension between the now and the not yet. At Christmas, we do get to marvel. We get to marvel at the wonder and the delight of how longing has been so fully and perfectly fulfilled in the arrival of a baby born in an animal food feeding trough. But we're not there yet. Christmas coming. We sit in our Advent season and we look back over this season. Uh, we began it uh, with, the, um, with joy. Michael shared with us about how joy is an internal reality and an external trajectory. Then we heard from Jason as he shared a little bit with us about a life of peace versus a life of calm. And Hannah last week, Anna last week shared with us about hope versus optimism. And today I'm sharing about Advent love. And I haven't yet come up with one of those clever antithesis of love yet. We might get to it today together. But I'm going to begin by asking you this question. What on earth is God doing in response to the brokenness of the world? What on earth is God doing in response to the brokenness of the world? And to answer that question, we're going to focus on love. We're going to focus on Advent love. So in my week gone by, did a little bit of research, spent some time... Um, both here at church and outside, asking some people a bit of a random question. This is the question, what do you love? Quite often, their response was, what do you mean? Uh, but 
I would get answers like this. I love my kids. I love chicken schnitzel and chips from the New Life Cafe. Woo! I love my garden. I love my iPhone 14. And then I did a little bit more research. This time I turned to the internet. Not something I can strongly recommend for you, actually, asking this question, what is love? Very unhelpful, I need to say, but I had some responses like this. Love is a feeling of comfort. Love is being accepted for who you are. Love is when someone starts to take up space in your mind. Love is love. And you know what, well, all these definitions, all these different opinions that I heard, for me, they actually really lack something. They, they do indeed lack something. They leave us all. Do you know what it is that they lack? Well, for me, they lack this sort of wave of relief that strikes at your heart when something speaks of truth and action. And you know what? When we look at our working definition in our culture of love, it does feeling so lacking. It's often understood in sexual terms or it's from the perspective of selfishness and often it's unclear, it's broad, it's varied and it's very subjective. Further, we realise in our culture that it doesn't offer very much at all to us, it doesn't offer us anything upon which to build a deep understanding of something that resembles self-giving, self-sacrificing love and actually it leaves us confused confused and even depressed about who we are and, who, and what love actually really is. So in summary, in our culture, from our culture's perspective, I've come to the conclusion that all those definitions and all those questions that I asked and all that has left me wondering whether or not love is actually like um, the useless stuff in the second kitchen drawer. That's where I've come to. <laughs> in my research this week, it's left me going, I think love is like the useless stuff in the second kitchen drawer, according to our culture. According to what society and the world will tell us, it's been emptied of its meaning, friends. But Advent, Advent reminds us. It reminds us about three truths of love that deepen our understanding and invite us to encounter and experience a fresh to profound reality of love of God and love that is on offer for us. Advent reminds us of that. And so my sermon today is going to have three main parts. I'm going to and the framework is behind me on the screen. We're going to be looking at how Jesus, God's love was made visible. In the coming of Jesus, God's love has been defined. And in the coming of Jesus, God's love expands across the globe. We're going to examine those things together. Let's begin with Scripture where we were before. From 1 John 4.9, God's love was made manifest among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. To begin to understand God's love made visible, made visible and revealed, we need to talk for a moment just about the triune nature of God. What we mean by that is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, three in one, delighting in one another, loving one another, overflowing with love for all and for all eternity. Everything that has been created Everything that exists, everything lovely and good has flowed out of the love of God in the Godhead. A quote for us from C.S. Lewis, he says this, the most important thing you need to know about the Trinity is that it is a relationship of love. The Father delights in the Son, the Son looks up to the Father. And what Christians mean by the statement God is love is that the living dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. 
in Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. That's C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. But this relationship of love, friends, this relationship of love that I've just described in the Trinity, it actually was not exclusive in that we are invited, that we are given the opportunity to know this love and to experience this love and to share this love through the revealing of Christ born into the world. This gift is a revelation of God's love made visible to us, is made visible to us. So why is it important to understand that God's love is intertwined into the nature of God because you can truly you, you cannot truly experience God without experiencing his love in some way. You cannot truly experience God without experiencing his love in some way. And it reminds me it's really just like fire really. Like love is from God in the way that heat is from fire. Or the way that light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It is who God is. And you know what? The scandal of Advent, the scandal of Christmas, is that God the Son, the second being of the Trinity, co-eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, the active agent in all of creation, is sent with a commission into the world for all of humanity. The Son appears to us in a human body and puts on flesh for our salvation. God's love clothed himself in limitation. He relinquished capacity and yielded himself to being a human being. He came in the most vulnerable way, in a way that no one saw coming. He didn't come to a palace. He didn't come to Rome. He, didn't, he came to a place that actually wasn't even on the map. little place called Bethlehem, where a baby was born and the after birth spilled on the straw of the stable floor, the second person of the Trinity comes to dwell amongst us. I have a, a great story, a true story that I'd like to read to you uh, that helps us understand the scandal of Christmas. Nabil is a Muslim convert to Jesus Christ and he has a resolutely Muslim friend named Sahar. Um, who has attracted, who's been attracted to parts of Christianity, but actually can't quite accept the fact or the idea that God became a human being. On one occasion, she honestly had to ask this question, how do you believe in Jesus as God if he was born through the birth canal of a woman and then he had to use the bathroom? Aren't these things beneath God, was her question. Um, Nabil affirmed her questions, then he asked her one in return. Sahar, let's say that you are now on your way to a very important ceremony and you're dressed in your finest clothes. You are just about to arrive on time and as you do, you see your daughter drowning in a pool of mud. What would you do? Would you let her drown and arrive looking dignified? Or would you rescue her and arrive at the ceremony looking covered in mud? Her response was very matter of fact. Of course, I would jump into the mud and save her. Nuancing the question just a little more, he says to her, let's say that there were others with you. Would you then send someone else to save her or would you still save her yourself? She responded, if she was my daughter, how could I send someone else? If they would not care for her like I do, I would do this definitely. Nabil said, if you being human love your daughter so much that you are willing to aside your dignity to save her, how much more can we expect God 
if he is our loving father, to lay aside his majesty to save us. The biblical story of God eventually won Sahar's heart. And Nabil reported that the message of God's selfless love had overpowered her. And she could no longer remain a Muslim. And that she now has given her life to Jesus as her saviour. What a great story. But you know, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him that we might live through him. Friends, if you've been born, then Jesus Christ has been sent for you so that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus Christ is the channel for bestowing on us life to the full, spiritual life and indeed eternal life. John's gospel is full of, in fact, all the gospels are full of stories about how we know this to be true. John 1 verse 4 begins by saying, In him, Jesus, was life. And the life and the life was the light of all people. And then Jesus goes on to say these things himself. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of living water gushing up to eternal life. Furthermore, John 4, 16, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in John 10.10, the the thief comes only to kill, steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let me remind you you of our Christian claim that outside of Jesus Christ, you might exist, but you're not going to live. You're not going to have life and life fully and abundantly and eternally. And there's something that we need to do because if we're going to live If we're going to experience this and receive this, we have to accept the reality of Jesus' love as a gift this Christmas. You need to first accept that you have a need for love. You need to accept this, and it's hard. In fact, quite often it takes humility to accept this lift of love. A story for you. Uh, Who loves receiving Christmas presents? Come on. Who loves receiving Christmas presents? I love receiving Christmas presents. But, you know, just sometimes, every now and again, you get the odd gift that is just a little bit challenging to receive. Have you ever been in that situation before? Um, You know, like when you get an XL T-shirt given to you, and you're like, oh, really? I didn't think I was that big. Um, No. Um, But other things like, uh, how about the first year of marriage anniversary gift and iron? Husband gives to wife. It's like, oh, that's terrible. Or even, actually, this is a real one. Just last week, um, I was able to spend some time with my sister who's flown out from the US and she had this very contribution of a gift, which was gym membership for me. And I'm like, Shelly, what are you trying to say? And, and she went on to say, well, you know, I'm just a little bit concerned that a woman of your age, I'm like, what are you trying to say? You might need to be doing weight-bearing exercise. I'm like, oh, okay, someone just said yes. All right. I had to swallow my pride and I had to actually accept this graciously, her gift for Christmas. But friends, in all seriousness, there's actually never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires you to do so. Christmas actually means for us that we are indeed lost, so unable to save ourselves that nothing less than the birth and the death of God, the Son himself, could save us. 
This means that you and I, that we are not those kinds of people who can actually pull ourselves together and live a good and moral life. Life, friends, life is found in Christ alone and the purpose of our existence is to receive this love. It's to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then indeed give it back out to others. So coming to our second point about defining love, I attempted to do this at the start, but I want to actually dig down and to actually explore what is biblical love, how is it going to be defined? Because you cannot define love by watching humanity try to define love because God's love is perfect. You know, even the most beautiful wedding day, even the most beautiful marriage, even when everything just goes perfectly, it still is actually imperfect. It is still tainted with sin. It is still not something that is, matches up to God's type of love. I want you to do something for me for a minute. I want you to think of someone that you deeply love. I want you to bring them to mind. You can close your eyes if you like, picture them. I want to ask you these couple of questions. Have you ever harmed them, hurt them intentionally or unintentionally? Have you ever spoken or acted out of self-seeking motives? Have you ever had a significant conflict with this person? Have you ever started the conflict on purpose? <laughs> we answer most of these questions with a yes. Even with the very best of intentions, we harm those we love. As beautiful as we might think human love is, it is imperfect, it is impure, and it is corrupted by sin. In the coming of the love for all at Christmas, we have the perfect love seen in the Godhead, and Jesus is sent to invite us into that kind of love, into that kind of perfect love that we might see it manifest and therefore believe and understand that's what God's love is. Defining love as perfect according to Scripture, I want to move to a second way of defining God's love and that God's love is enacted. God's love is enacted. It's, it's an action. Now just go with me for a moment, but you can love your mum and you can love sushi, right? Mum might not love that idea, but you can love sushi and you can love your mum. We use the same word because in English, the word love is, a little bit, is actually an unclear word for us in our language. However, in the day of Jesus... In his language and his culture, he, the word he used was actually a word for God's love that was very specific, and it was the word agape. Agape is the highest form of unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love that God shows and is towards us. It's not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you. Agape means love as action. It's a choice. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of others. It means seeking the well-being of others without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are without the ability to return to you even if they wanted to. It means that extending agape actually to people you can't stand such a confronting part of scripture when Jesus spoke to us about how agape is actually an enemy embracing love. It's an enemy embracing love. And this is the kind of generous love that has its origins wholly in God, who is in fact love itself. And this is how Jesus lived his life. Jesus lived his life by this definition of love. He died for the selfishness and for the corruptions of his enemies because he loved them because he loved them. 
kind of leads us into the next part of this same verse, 1 John 4, verse 10. In this love, not that, sorry, in this is love, that we loved, that, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The ultimate act of God's love is that he sacrificed his own for us sinners. We weren't lovable. We weren't lovely. We weren't little fountains of love. We were actually the opposite. Timothy Keller says this in, in a quote. You can read it behind. But when the Bible talks about sin, it is not just referring to the bad things we do. It's not just lying or lust or whatever the case may be. It's ignoring God in the world he has made. It's rebelling against him by living without reference to him. It's saying, I will decide exactly how to live my life. And Jesus says, this is our main problem. This is, this is the diagnosis of humanity. The love that is love and deserving of that name has its source in God. Friends, God sends his son, the only begotten, that we may have life through him, that Jesus might shed his blood as an atonement for our sin and then cleanse from that sin. We do indeed live. We live to the full and we live for all eternity. And this is the extraordinarily blessed reality of God's love. John 3.16, it was a verse that you'll be familiar with, but it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 3.16 states that God's love included love for the whole world, but the world must have its eyes open to behold this love in Jesus Christ. This Advent Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's even face up to some of that messed up, sin-tainted reality of our lives and the world that we live in. Let's recognise, let's admit that we have wounds we cannot heal, that we have shame we cannot ignore, that we have guilt that we cannot forgive and we have an enemy we cannot defeat. And for that purpose, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. When we look at the manger at Christmas, that little baby in it who created the universe, we should be struck with awe. We should be blown away. And we should be humbled. We should be humbled because, beloved it is how God loved us, then we should love one another. If this is how God has loved us, then we should, we ought to love one another. And this is the dance. This is the dance that we are offered and we're invited to. This is the opportunity for us to not just know this love and to experience this love, but to also show it to others, to also live it in our actions Friends, we ought to love one another. We ought to show love for one another. And let's be practical about it for a few minutes. Because this is my last point. You know, I talked about how God's love would expand across the globe. 
because God inputs into the lives of his people by his Holy Spirit, love into our hearts, that that love then actually flows out into the world around us and is part of the way that God transforms the world and brings reconciliation to the world and brings salvation to the world through his people, through people who are marked by love. Scripture says that they will know Christians by their love, that we will be known for this love. So let's be practical about it for a few minutes. I think that we are most loving through vibrant, fervent, committed prayerfulness. Practical tip number one, I think that we are most loving through vibrant, fervent, committed prayerfulness. And I think that the longer we believe that our strategies or our structures or our programs, that these are the things that are going to move heaven and earth, then we actually will find that ourselves relegated to a powerlessness that leans heavily towards our intellect or, you know, the good things that we're doing, our abilities, without actually leaning into the Spirit of God, doing the transforming work of love, renewing us from the inside out. Isn't that what we long for? Right. We long for renewal. We long to say, God, come and renew us from the inside out. So pray. So you might say, pray fervently and passionately. Fiona, I don't know what you're thinking there. I don't know how to do that. Well, here's a, a, just an encouragement to go back to our prayer series that we had early on in the year called Teach Us to Pray. But I just want to give you kind of like, you don't have to even do that because I'll just tell you what happens in that series. Basically, we say this, God is not critiquing your theology or your language when you pray. The answer is yes, you can do this because you pray what you've got. You just pray what you've got. Very simply, you pray what you've got. When you wake up in the morning, Pray for your family, pray for your kids, pray for your spouse, pray for your roommate. When you come into the office, pray for your colleagues. When you're sitting next to someone at lunch, pray for them. When you're having lunch with a friend, pray for them. When you're concerned about what is going on in the world, pray. Pray for yourself. Pray the Lord's Prayer. And like, why don't we try that? Why don't we do that right now? Why don't we take a moment where we just have just a moment of corporate prayer and prayer ministry together? Because I would love to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and again pour out on us, His people, this spirit of prayer and intercession that we would actually receive a fresh pouring of this into our hearts today, that we would receive this so that was stirred up and that we were a church that were marked by this prayerfulness. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you just to make a little cup with your hands in front of you. It's not magic or anything. I'm just going to do this because I want to pray that God will come and fill us with a zeal and a love for prayer. Stir this up in us. Let's pray. Let's do this together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are love made visible. Love isn't love. Love is Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection for sinners. We thank you that you are the atoning sacrifice of sin and that we are loved and cherished and delighted in and rejoiced over. Thank you, God. We ask that you would grant us zeal in prayer. And for the many of us who don't always know how to pray or have been misled into thinking that there's a right way to do it, would you give us the courage to pray what we've got? Would you encourage us to do this, to talk to you in the morning, to talk to you in the evening, to talk to you throughout the day? God bless us, would you? Would you pour afresh into our heart a prayerfulness? Would you also bless us with power to be obedient to what you will speak to us about in prayer? And we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Friends, here's another way that I think that we can uh, show this love practically in our word. We can do this by the practice of hospitality. 
Now, I'm not talking about Farmhouse Daily Inspo. Anybody else follow them? They're great. That's not what I'm talking about, though. I'm talking about a biblical kind of hospitality. And in the Bible, hospitality is referred to as presence. God was hospitable when he created a garden for man and woman to dwell in with him. God was hospitable when he brings in the tabernacle and said that he would dwell there. He was hospitable when he put a temple in Jerusalem for people to come to worship. When he puts on flesh and dwells among us, God was supremely hospitable. And when his spirit makes a home in us, God is being hospitable. We have received hospitality. Let's extend it. Let's especially extend it this Christmas season that our dinner tables might be filled with people, filled with people who are seeking or that those coffee catch-ups that we've still got to do before Christmas may be with people who are hungry, people who are hungry to, be, to know life and know life to the full. So why don't we just pray about that again? Why don't we just have another moment? Just asking the Lord to bring to your mind somebody that you know, somebody, some, a friend, a colleague, a family member, somebody that you think or that the Lord tells you might be spiritually open about a conversation of this coming of love. And I just want to pray that we would have some courage about that. So how, how would you go? Even for you people online, or especially for you people online, would you join with us in a moment of, of prayer as we ask the Holy Spirit to Come to our mind that we might be courageous about how we pray for them. Let's do that now. Father, again, we come to you. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, would you embolden us this season to have a conversation with that someone that you have brought to our mind. A conversation with them about you, about who you are about what they think about you, about your love. And may they enter into a deeper place, a deeper journey where they know that they are loved, that they are truly loved and not judged. God, would you give us courage to invite this person that you've brought to our mind to church next Sunday or to invite them to share our table at Christmas. God, again, in your precious name, in the name of Jesus. We pray this. Amen. Amen.